0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, and uh, I lived in the Midwest until I was like 28 or 29. Uh, and so when I moved out to Connecticut, one of the things, I mean there's so many things. New England is so unique in every single way and different from the rest of the country, right? So, you know, there's loads of things that I I noticed about it. Uh, But one of the things that I noticed was these funny little walls all around the place. And I was like, what in the world are these? Like, why are there stone walls everywhere? Like, it is, you know, New England's like old school. So I was like, is this Still, how you do your property line markers? Like, do you have to, like, move them a foot if, like, you buy another plot of land? Like, is that what it is? Or maybe this is the way that uh, they. You know, disciplined their kids back in the day, that like all the New England families decided that if their kids were bad, that they had to stack rocks for a few hours, and it all built and looked nice, and so they were like, "We'll keep it that way." I, I didn't know what was going on. So I did a little research about it, and let me tell you about these stone walls if you don't know. So, like most good stories, it starts with sheep in Spain you know, that's how most good stories start. Uh, In the Middle Ages, uh, merino wool was produced exclusively in Spain. Maybe you have a nice fancy sweater made of this, and you're like, oh, that stuff's so comfortable. Well, that's what everybody thought in the Middle Ages as well. And so it was a huge export uh, from their country and made all the rich lords and ladies even richer as they controlled the complete export of this wool to other parts of the world. And so it was that way for hundreds of years and then napoleon entered the scene and ruined everything as napoleon did a little bit right um wait that's a france burn that's world cup tie-in win uh hey didn't even plan that one but you're welcome if you're rooting for argentina uh so so napoleon entered and he takes over uh spain as we know and he really wanted to take over this sheep industry this wool industry And all of the lords and ladies said, kind of over our dead bodies, we're never giving it to you. And so they decided to get rid of all of these sheep. And there was a U.S. consulate employee who was in Portugal who heard about this, and he decided to buy 4,000 sheep and to ship them, literally on ships, over to Vermont to start his own little sheep farm for his retirement. True story. And so, in the early 1800s, he shipped all of these sheep over to Vermont. Started a sheep farm. Within 30 years, it went from 4,000 sheep to over 2 million sheep that covered all of New England, as you can imagine at that point. And so, with that many sheep, they needed more land to be able to graze on. So they cut down all the trees. And when they did that, they unearthed a bunch of rocks. And so they took the rocks and they put them as boundary lines for their property and as fences just high enough that these sheep wouldn't be able to jump over. In 1871, the U.S. government estimated that there was 250,000 miles of stone walls throughout New England. Pretty incredible, right? Like all came because of some sheep from Spain. Now you know. Now you know the story if you didn't know before you know 150 years later things have changed we don't have sheep everywhere anymore we've repopulated the forested areas we've built in much different land tracks than we did back in the day the the countryside looks much different than it did in the 1800s but the stone walls still remain all over the place right in John 14:27 Jesus is talking with his disciples and he tells them this good news uh, about what's going to happen when he leaves because he wants to give them hope and so he says this I'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give so don't be troubled or afraid I'm leaving you with peace 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 in the Greek New Testament is the word irene. In the Old Testament Hebrew, it's the word shalom. Peace. And both these two words mean the same thing. They mean a complete or whole as as in a completed stone wall with no gaps or missing stones or something that is complex with lots of pieces yet is in a state of completeness or wholeness. Peace as in a completed stone wall with no gaps or missing stones. Tim Mackie, a theologian who created something called the Bible Project, which if you haven't checked it out, you should check it out. It's pretty cool. He was speaking about peace and he said the core biblical idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or to restore. When any of these is out of alignment or missing, your peace breaks down. Of all the gifts that Jesus has given us, peace, being made whole, complete, I think is one of the greatest, most powerful gifts that he could give. Because we look around our world and it is so obvious that we need this, right? I mean, we, we look like on the big scale and we see where peace is breaking down all over the place. I read an article this morning about the Ukraine and the Russia, Russian attack that just happened this week and what's going on. Like we see it in the war in Russia, we, in the Ukraine, we see it with unjust rulers in places like Russia and China. We see the breakdown on a global scale in, in these systems of oppression that have caused tremendous pain to probably millions of people over decades. We see examples all over our world of where there's stones missing in the walls. And then we look at our own life. And I don't know about you, but I can name a few spots where I see examples of stones missing in my wall too. On the personal scale, and we look at it and we see it in the ways that we experience things like injustices based on uh, racial or, or ethnic prejudice where we see it based on religious differences and beliefs where we see it based on just other people not being good people and acting in terrible ways towards us we see it with anxiety that feels overwhelming we feel it with mental illness when it we think that it's in a good spot and then it creeps back in into our own lives through the lives of somebody that we love we see it with addiction when that creeps back in after we thought that everything was fixed and we look at our lives and we could say it feels like there's a stone missing in the wall something's just a little bit off and Jesus what he said is that he wanted to come and make the wall complete That was his promise to his followers. And in fact, his grand plan for our entire world to make complete what was broken down and what looked off started with a baby being born to a teenage mother who's from a little town called Nazareth. Just a simple birth story in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, "'Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you.'" Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. "'Don't be afraid, Mary,' the angel told her, "'for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus.'" And he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Because that would have clarified things for you if you were Mary in that situation, right? You're like, oh, now I understand what's happening to my body. Thank you. This makes more sense. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of the Lord will never fail. And Mary responded kind of in astonishing fashion. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left. Her story continues in Luke 2, when it says that Jesus took with him Mary to Joseph, not Jesus, Joseph took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and she laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. Just a simple birth story, right? Born to a teenager who said yes. Conceived through miraculous means. God became flesh. Fully God, fully man. A simple birth story that is incredible and beyond comprehension, beyond belief about God's plan to come and to restore all that was broken, to make right all that that needed to be completed, to bring peace to us, to humanity. That's what the Christmas story is actually about. You know, in this series, we've been talking a lot about waiting. We've called it Waiting for Christmas. And we've been talking about waiting specifically from the standpoint of waiting for the things that God has promised to us, and trusting that God's actually going to do the things that we feel like he's promised to us, even when it seems like it's been a really long time. And this week, I was on Instagram, as one is sometimes, and I was scrolling through pictures, uh, through my own pictures, and I came across this picture. This beautiful, artistically taken picture uh, that I took 11 years ago out a bank window of a credit union that I was working at, uh, at. A very boring job that I purposely took. If you could see what I wrote there, I said the single most boring view ever. Uh, I was very emo 11 years ago, I guess. I like felt that extra period like it mattered there. Um, it, but that was, that was the view that I looked out every day. I took that job on purpose because I was, uh, finishing my bachelor's degree at 26 and I needed space to be able to do homework at work, uh, because I was working full time and going to school full time and had an internship at church. So there weren't a lot of hours in the day. And so I took this job. And to say that I was content would be a stretch. That was not my reality at that point. I look at that picture and I remember what I felt 11 years ago when that happened. I felt the, the kind of reality of, of life for me was like I was feeling the loneliness as my friends were all getting married. I was feeling career frustration being in a job that was boring that I didn't actually enjoy that much. And on top of that, the job that I wanted to to have at the church that I was going to, I had not gotten. And I was frustrated about that because I thought that I was more qualified than the person who did get it, ever been there. Uh, And so that was frustrating for me. And then on top of that, that was nine months after my dad passed. And so family life was just weird. And my mom and my youngest sister were getting ready to move from Ohio to Texas. And I didn't actually think that that was the world's best choice. Uh, But of course, I was the son and I didn't have any power over those uh, decisions. And so there was just all sorts of like frustration and like, you know, dissonance involved in how I was feeling at that point. I I felt just very incomplete. I was waiting for God to come and move in ways that I thought that God had said he was going to come and move, healing to my family in ways that I thought that he had said he was going to bring, an opportunity to live out the calling that I felt like God had given me from a pretty young age, and that other people had continued to tell me that they felt like I had. Marriage, kids, all of those things, I was like, God, what, what's the deal? Like, why am I in this spot? And so I was just stuck waiting. And before we continue, I just wanted to take a moment and invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to some of us who may connect with that feeling of incompleteness, of dissonance, of frustration, where you're looking at things in your life and you're saying, God, I feel like you promised me something a while ago and I'm still sitting here waiting for you to come and do it. I know there's some of us that have experienced this, that are experiencing this. And so I just simply want to pray just a short prayer and then just have some silence and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts about to show us how he's moving in the midst of the frustration, of the incompleteness, of the sense of just waiting for something that doesn't feel like it's coming. So if you connect with that, I just invite you just open up your hands. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak. God, I thank you that you are a promise keeper, that you do what you said that you were going to do. And sometimes it takes a ridiculously long time. And we're kind of left living in the middle of that so, Jesus, I just pray for each of us, for the ways that we're waiting on you to come and to do what you told us you were going to do. In these in-between spots, I just pray right now for you to come and to speak to our hearts, to show us how it is that you're actually moving, how it is that you're working behind the scenes. So I just ask for you to come. And to speak and to reveal yourself to us right now. I just give you space, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to our hearts. just pray for hearts that feel frustrated for comfort for lives that feel incomplete to be aware of your presence right now and pray for all of us to be aware of your personal reality that you are here with us and that you're moving in jesus name Isaiah chapter 9 says this. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord will make this happen. Remember that simple birth story that I read a couple minutes ago? Isaiah prophesied this. God spoke this to him hundreds of years before Jesus came. Hundreds of years before he heard this and pointed towards what was getting ready to come. Hundreds of years of sitting and waiting. When people would have read this, when the the Israelites would have read this, they would have gotten really excited. They would have been like, yes, it's going to happen. And then 100 years went by. And then 200 years, and you get the idea, and it just kept going. And people started to say, what's going on? What about the thing that you prophesied? What about the thing that you said to us? Why isn't this actually happening? But Isaiah was pointing to something that did happen, that God came and he says, a child is born, a son is given, prince of peace is what they're going to call him. His word for prince here means administrator. And I like that idea, an administrator of wholeness, whose rule of wholeness never ends, goes on forever. He brings it each place that he goes to. Can you imagine what that would be like, what that will be like when it comes in fullness? Isaiah begins to show us God's plan in this prophecy when he says that a child is born. I mean, that's such like a basic human sentence that for us, we almost like toss it out. We're like, yeah, of course, children are always born. Reproduction 101. Well done, Isaiah. You got it. But like, think about that in this context. A child is born born humanity embodied like in the most like human way that it can be and then it follows it up by saying a son is given so very very human and then very very god the son of god is given he comes he offers himself he becomes one of us in these two simple statements we see something huge about jesus about who he is that he is fully human and that he is fully god both all in one in this prophecy that came hundreds of years before jesus was born god told us that that's what was going to happen that that's who he was going to be and not only that but he'll be an administrator of wholeness and his rule will never end. Whereas the angel said in Luke, he will reign forever and his kingdom will never end. In order for peace to come, Jesus had to be born. That was God's plan. That was the way that he came to move. Humanity could only be made complete and whole through God who came to be among us, to be literally one of us. Now, this is a complex thing, so I thought I'd bring in the experts to tell us a little bit more about it. So, but hit it, Stephen. In dark
1: days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil and that it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, Judah, and Abraham. And he goes around Israel announcing that the goodness of God's kingdom is here, now. And he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them, by forgiving them of their sins and evil. Many people are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. But Jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself. The fatal snakebite wound. Exactly. And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead. And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself. And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us, to begin confronting the effects of evil in our life. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all, and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth.
0: The only way that peace comes that the snake is defeated, that evil and sin is defeated, is through Jesus. He had to come and do what it is that he came and did, and what he's going to do again, what he's going to bring whole, complete, in order for that to happen. So let's look back at where we started. What is the picture of peace that the Bible lays out for us? It says a stone wall with no gaps or missing stones. And then it says something that is complex with lots of pieces yet is in a state of completeness or wholeness. Now, this second part of it about it being complex points to something that sometimes we forget because we really like peace that's for me. I don't know about you. I'll just say it for me. I really like it when God promises that I'm going to feel peace, that I'm going to experience these things. But this whole idea of all of us experiencing it, sometimes that's a little bit hard. Uh, It seems a little bit foreign, a little bit idealistic. I'm not quite sure how it is that I'm supposed to jump to that point. How does peace move from just being about me to being all of us together? I want to read from Ephesians 2. 13 through 18 let's read what it says here but now you have been united with christ jesus once you were far away from god but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of christ for christ himself has brought peace to us he united jews and gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away, and to peace to the jews who were near now all of us can come to the father through the same holy spirit because of what christ has done for us verse 14 tells us that christ himself brought peace to us he's required in order for this to happen as i just said this whole idea of wholeness and completeness like it's the beauty of it is that it is personal It's a gift from Jesus to you. And that can be embraced. That's the truth of it. That Jesus came to bring this to our lives so that we can experience this in ourselves. But that doesn't mean it's individualistic. There's a pretty big difference there. Listen to the language that Paul gives here. He says, you've been united with Christ. He made peace by creating in himself one new people. Together as one body, Christ reconciled all of us to God. Now all can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Peace is a unifying force, both in the big picture and in the inside picture. Like there's both and in this reality here. That's the complexity of peace. I love what Eugene Peterson said about this. He said, Jesus brings us home. He brings us together. He breaks down hostility he recreates us as a unified humanity he reconciles all of us to god peace is complex and many layered a lot of action goes into making peace and jesus is the action he's the one who makes it possible basically what what paul and then eugene peterson are saying here is that like peace is the glue of unity it's required in order for unity unity to be a reality And you might be sitting there and you're like, okay, Stephen, so these are great ideals. Like, I'm happy with the one from me, but this one about all of us, like, let me ask you a couple of questions and then you give me an answer to those. Like, why isn't this what we see in the world today if Jesus has already come? And at the very least, and this one stings a little bit, but why don't we see this in the church if this is what Jesus has already come to bring? those are very good questions (laughs) and they're painful questions in some ways because we have to look at ourselves but i want to give a couple of answers here or responses i'll say first thing is this that jesus is a person not an ideal you know jesus through having a relationship with jesus not just because you buy into these five ideals on a a piece of paper. It's because you know him, because you encounter him, because you have a relationship and you get to know him over and over and over again. And likewise, peace comes through a person, not through an ideal that you just happen to buy into. Peace comes through a relationship with Jesus. And the second thing, thing that goes along with that is that jesus respects us as people that's just how he chose to work he doesn't force he treats us with dignity and respect and gentleness i don't think we say thank you enough to jesus for that reality honestly like if we were god we would probably choose otherwise because we would get frustrated very very fast But he treats us with gentleness. He doesn't force. He doesn't push himself on us. He doesn't make us act in a certain way. And it takes time for groups of unforced people to change. Introspection time. How quickly do you change when Jesus highlights something in your life? sometimes things take time we're humans it's our reality we understand this and when you're talking about it on a big group scale things can take time but that's the way that god chose to work that's the reality of how he moves in our world so how do we live this out you know, if we're going to take those questions and say, okay, how do I be a part of this answer? How can we be peacemakers? How can we bring peace in the places that we've been placed in our homes, in our family, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our schools? Like how do we bring peace to the places that we've been placed? I'm not going to give you an answer because I don't think there's an answer I could give to every single one of you because it's personal. Like, how denoid is supposed to bring peace is different from me because we're different people. We have different places that we've been put. We have different personalities. So here's what I want to do instead of giving you an answer. I want to give you a practice that I would encourage you to do. In the next day, spend 10 minutes and ask the Holy Spirit, how am I supposed to bring peace to where you've placed me? And listen and see what He says, I can guarantee he will answer that question if you'll actually ask. Peacemakers are not conflict avoiders. Peacemakers are people who work hard to see peace made in our world. We want to be a part of that as followers of Jesus. Right? Yeah? Hopefully. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a gift Today, Jesus is saying, I am giving you a gift. Be complete, be whole. And as we end, I want to go back to that stone wall and imagine that it's our life. Picture your life as a stone wall this morning. What's your wall look like? Maybe you've, been trying to fix it up you've been trying to stack things but they're all kind of all over the place hasn't worked very well bulldozers have been involved it's just not gone all that well but the thing that you've never done is actually invited jesus in to set it up and jesus is standing here saying i want to come and bring peace to your life i want to make you whole I think the other group of us, though, that's here, and this is probably a lot more of us. If we were to look at our stone walls honestly, we would see lots of finished pieces, lots of places that Jesus has come and done really good things and made us whole and complete in really powerful ways. But we also have spots that are crumbling. Spots that we haven't wanted to acknowledge that when people come and look at our lives, we turn our backs to and we say, look at this. Look at how good I did. Look at what Jesus has done right there. Don't look at this. Like we turn the spotlight in another direction. And I think this morning that Jesus is saying, hey, Stephen, I actually want to look at this. I want to make you whole, not part of the way whole. I want to come into those spots that you haven't been willing to deal with because it's too painful because you don't want people to know that you're that broken. I want to come and deal with the things that are nicely hidden away but that are tearing you apart. I want to bring wholeness to people who might like pretending that they're already whole. He doesn't bring shame. He doesn't bring judgment. He brings peace. That's what he promised. And so this morning, I want to invite you to acknowledge if you need Jesus to come and to deal with that. Just to simply raise your hand and say, you know, it's good for me to acknowledge that my, my wall is not perfect and I need his help. I'm for real putting my hand up. I'm acknowledging it. And if you do too, put your hand up, and then I want to pray. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus, I thank you that you stand at our little stone walls of our lives and that you bring wholeness. And I just pray right now. I pray for the ways for those of us that haven't given you permission to come into to work in our lives. We just right now say yes. Come, Jesus, and move. For those of us who have held on really hard and tried to ignore those places, we just step out of the way. And we say, yes, Jesus, come and move. Come and bring restoration. Come and bring healing. I pray for freedom from addictions. Freedom from from pain and hurt that's sat there for so long and festered for so long that it's become something that's torn down things in our lives. I pray for grace to be able to acknowledge our, the reality that we need you. And that that's a really good thing, not a weakness. I pray that you'll help us to step into the strength that comes from relying on you. And to let go of the weakness of pretending like we have it all together. Come, Lord Jesus, move in this place in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we're gonna worship. Mm-hmm.